making our way back to your seats. We're going to use this time to continue worshiping. We've been worshiping through music and singing together. We've been worshiping through talking and enjoying each other's company. Now we're going to continue worshiping by looking at the Word of God together. I used to tell kids that I would teach at my old church that worship is saying wow to the things of God. Worship is seeing how amazing God is and just marveling at it, telling God how incredible He is. And so when we talk with each other and we enjoy the body of Christ, we're worshiping because we're enjoying His community, His family. When we sing together, we're worshiping because together we're singing holy, holy, holy. We're telling God how amazing and how great He is. When we look into the Word of God, we're worshiping because we find Him there and that leads us to praise Him as we better get to know Him and love Him together. That's been one of my favorite things over the last few weeks is being here and singing with you um, as one family and just worshiping God together. And really what we're doing every single week, we're singing the gospel back to God. Uh, we sang A Mighty Fortress this morning. That's my, that's my favorite hymn because of this one line. It says, uh, would we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing, our working would be a failure. <laughs> and that's the gospel. We're not the right man on our side, Jesus Christ the man of God's own choosing. That's the gospel. And singing that together with you, worshiping together with you in that way has been a joy. And so as we continue to worship through looking at the word and through prayer, let's, let's take a moment uh, and quiet our hearts before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we are your people. We're your people because we have heard and accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, trusted, Lord, in the saving work that he's done on the cross, that you have done on the cross. And Father, that truth isn't just something that we hear and pin onto our lives, onto our identities, but rather it's something that transforms the entirety of who we are. We are not people who are Christians. We are people transformed by you uh, into a whole new creation, Lord. It's a powerful truth. And so, Father, this morning as we think about that, as we think about your gospel and think about what your son Jesus Christ did on the cross, Lord, we, we, we want to worship you. You deserve our worship, Lord. So work in us, grow us, challenge us, change the way we think, live, act, talk. Today, Lord, through this word. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my sister growing up would sing constantly. Constantly in car rides, at the dinner table, all the time. And that was annoying for me, as a, a brother who's four years younger than her. Uh, thankfully for me, though, she was a really good singer. Um, she had a gift of singing. And so because of that, she actually decided to pursue that with her life. She went to college and studied opera, um, and she got to be a really good singer. Um, and now she's actually doing singing to support herself for a living. Um, so a couple years ago, actually a number of years ago, um, she came home from Christmas break at college, and my parents found these tickets in New Orleans to go and hear her, uh, or not her, um, opera singers, <laughs> sing, uh, sing in, in the recital. And these were some of the best opera singers in the world. They were coming from the Metropolitan Opera in New York. And so me, a couple years younger than her, and also somebody who doesn't like opera, <laughs> I, I, this, was my, this is my New Year's Eve. We drove six and a half hours to New Orleans to hear these opera singers. 
So we got there, we settled into our seats, and I fell promptly asleep. <laughs> I was out like a light for the entire first half. Probably one of the best naps of my life. <laughs> Angelic music <laughs> echoing around me. I remember waking up a couple times and thinking, mm, this is wonderful. <laughs> um, not what my parents bought the tickets for. <laughs> but then the, the intermission came. I, I rubbed the sleep out of my eyes, and I was about to settle into the second half of my nap when uh, this tenor got up there. He was a young tenor singing at the Metropolitan Opera, and he started singing this song that was the most beautiful, the most amazing music I'd heard in my entire life. And it hasn't transformed my feelings about opera or anything like this, but he sang with such passion and such emotion and such skill that when I heard it, even a couple weeks and months later, thinking back to that guy singing, I got emotional. It was an amazing piece of music. It was an amazing piece of art. And when we experience amazing art and amazing music, the first thing we do is we marvel at that art. We say, wow, that is beautiful. That is amazing. But the second thing we do is we turn to the artist. We turn to the musician and say, good job. <laughs> we understand that the music didn't make itself, didn't produce itself. We give credit for that music, for that art, uh, to the one who created it, to the one who performed it, to the musician. We do the same thing when we look at nature, right? We see beautiful hills, rivers, mountains, trees, and we marvel at the beauty of creation. And then we turn and we give praise to the creator because he's the one who deserves credit for this beautiful and majestic thing that we're seeing. And so as we look back into the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, Paul's doing that with the work that's happening in the Thessalonians. He's looking at the Thessalonians, and in the first two verses, what Paul is saying is, wow, guys, good job. Keep going. Keep remaining faithful for the Lord. Keep working, doing his work. And then in the second half of the passage, he's turning to God and saying, good job, God. You are incredible. You are the one who is doing this. And so that's what we're going to see in our passage today. God encouraging the Thessalonians, saying, good job, keep going. And then turning to God and saying, you are the one who deserves glory for what's happening over here. So look with me. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Before the Thessalonians did their faithful walk, God did a transforming work. Before the Thessalonians did a faithful walk lived a faithful walk before the Lord. God did a transforming work in them. So there's this radio show that I've been listening to recently. It's called How I Built This. And in this radio show, or this podcast, um, what, the, what the interviewer does is he sits down with different entrepreneurs, people who've built massive corporations, multi-million dollar corporations. And he sits down with them and he hears their stories. How did you build this company? And with every single one of them, you hear the combination of hard work and luck that got them to where they were today. 
but almost every single one of them, to a T, has said something along these lines. I could not have built this if it was not for the support and the encouragement of my husband, of my wife, of my friends, of my parents. It's the same thing when you open up a book to the acknowledgement section. It says something along these lines like, you, the only reason you're, here, you're reading this book is because of the encouragement and support of my wife, kids, friends. Encouragement is powerful. We all know this. I've experienced this in my own life as I've pursued different paths in life. People coming alongside me and saying, I see this in you. You should do this. That's been the most powerfully encouraging thing for me. And it's, it's catapulted me forward into what the Lord's done in my life in different areas. I'm sure many of you have experienced that as well. You've tried your hand at something and people have said, you've got a gift at that. And that's what's driven you forward to continue to pursue that direction, whatever it is. But encouragement's powerful. And so we look into this passage and we see Paul coming to the Thessalonians, encouraging them, encouraging them in their faithful walk. And he's saying, you guys are doing great. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't give up now. And so how does Paul do this? Look with me. In verse 2, this is what he says. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. So if you remember from last week, uh, we heard the story about how Paul sent Timothy to go check up on the Thessalonians and see how they were doing. Paul and Silas, they knew that they were in a really hard situation, political and religious persecution in Thessalonica. So they sent Timothy to check up on them. Timothy comes back with amazing news. Not only are they standing firm, the Lord's using them to spread the gospel throughout their region. And so here, as we get to this passage, Paul is rejoicing. In this first verse, we see Paul and Silas and Timothy rejoicing, and their excitement is spilling over in prayers of praise before God. We see a joyful gratitude in the same way that when we've been praying for, for a job to come through or for a surgery to go well, we, we overflow with joyful prayers of praise when we say, oh, thank you, God. It's that gratitude um, that it pours out before the Lord, that joy. And that's what we're seeing in Paul here. He almost, he almost sounds like a proud parent who can't stop bragging about his kids. He can't stop rejoicing and bragging to God about how good the Thessalonians are doing, how faithfully they're walking. And so what he does is he prays for them constantly and continually before the Lord. And he gives thanks to them, remembering before God, or in other words, lifting up in prayer before God, um, his, his excitement about their faithful, faithful walk. And he wants them to continue in this. And so what does this faithful walk look like? We see this in verse 3. We read that they have a work of faith, a labor of love, and a steadfastness of hope. Work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. What do those mean? What, is it, what does it mean to have a work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope? I think that when we look into these, what those three expressions mean, we get a picture of what a faithful Christian life looks like. And we see that Paul points to these three things, work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope, and uses it to say, continue living this way. Um, and then turns and reminds them that it's God who does the work in them that enables them to live like this. So let's go through these one by one. Number one, work of faith. Work of faith. When we read work of faith, I think that we can actually read it a work 
motivated by faith, a work produced by faith, a work overflowing out of their faith. It's their faith that makes them want to do this work before the Lord. And this just makes sense, doesn't it? If you truly believe the gospel, if the, if the gospel has come in and transformed your life, this good news that Jesus Christ has transformed your heart and given you a new life, when that grasps you, you want the other people around you to, to share that joy with you. you. You sense the freedom that you receive in the gospel, and you want other people to have that freedom as well. We can't help but overflow uh, and, and with, with the work of the Lord to share in his work because of the faith that we have, because we believe and trust in the gospel. I think this is the most clearly seen in new believers, uh, new believers who, who have accepted the gospel, whose lives have been transformed, and then just can't help but share this with all their friends. Um, some of their friends get annoyed with them <laughs> because they can't stop talking about what Jesus is doing in their lives. If we want another picture of this, we can look at missionaries, uh, Elaine and Camilo and Ben and Ruth Kane. They can, they can vouch that it's not an easy thing to go to another culture, to leave home, to bring this message of the gospel. But they do so because they believe it. They have faith. They believe in the transforming power of this gospel, that people need this truth. And that's what drives them to do this work. It's a work of faith. One more picture is the worship team. <laughs> that comes on, set, on Sunday mornings. They get up at 7, they get here by 8, they set up, they practice to lead us in worship, and they don't do that because they hate sleeping in on Sunday mornings. They do that work because they believe that God is a true and powerful and mighty God, deserving of our worship, and so they desire to lead us in worship. That's a work of faith. Their faith drives them to work. And so Paul sees this in the Thessalonians and he rejoices. He's saying, good job, guys. Praise God for your work of faith. So that's the first one, work of faith. Second, labor of love. And in the same way, we can understand this to be a labor motivated by love, produced by love, a labor, labor flowing out of the love that they have for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's funny, this word that Paul uses for love here, it's a word that um, wasn't used much in the Greek language until Paul came around and used it. Because it's a word that, that communicates a selfless love, a, a giving love. A love that cares for the good of the other person more than you care for yourself. In other words, it's the type of love that Jesus Christ had for us when he died on the cross for us. Jesus Christ personifies this type of giving and sacrificial love that's for the good of the other person. And it's this type of love that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 17. Where we read that love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the type of love that leads to labor for the Lord. If you want a perfect picture of a love that cares for another more than yourself, the best picture is parents. I'm in a time of life right now, right now where a lot of my friends are having their first children, and um, not a single one of them has said, no, it's easy. <laughs> 
It hasn't changed anything. I get plenty of sleep. That's, that's not the truth of what parenting is. Parenting is a labor. But I haven't heard a single one of my friends say that they regret it, that they regret having that child, because they love that child. They want to do that labor, even though it's hard sometimes, even though they'd rather just sleep through their crying. Parenting is a labor of love. It's a work that flows out of, that is produced by your love for that child. We see the same thing in marriage, actually, as well. You fall in love with somebody, you make a covenant commitment to that person, and you think it's just going to be perfect, and it's not. (laughs) And then you have to address these imperfections in your relationship. You have to grow through these things together and deal with these things. And you do the labor of working through the hardships, of fighting through the fights, of being patient with one another because of your love for that other person, because of that covenant loving commitment that you've made for that other person. Marriage is a labor of love. And so this is what Paul means when he says that he sees a labor of love in the Thessalonians. That their work for one another and for the Lord is motivated by a self-giving, sacrificial love. And so he encourages them. So first, a work of faith. Second, a labor of love. And the third thing that he sees in them is a steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we read in this passage. A steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So a steadfastness of hope that is motivated by, produced by, flowing out of their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know that the Thessalonians were in the midst of struggles and trials. We know that in their context, the Jewish population, the pagan population, as well as the political leaders uh, were attacking them. We know that some of the Thessalonians had already died for their faith. We'll read that as we go through the book more and more. But in this, in this trial, Paul, Paul knows that there's a temptation to turn. There's always a temptation to turn when it's hard. <laughs> when it's hard to follow Christ, it always feels like it would be easier to turn away from him and to deny him. But when Paul says that he sees in them a steadfastness of hope, in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying. Their hope is steadfast, strong, and resilient because it's in a God who's steadfast, strong, and resilient. The Thessalonians can stay strong and firm and steadfast because their steadfastness is in their hope in the strong, steadfast, and resilient Savior, Jesus Christ. So so Paul sees this type of steadfastness in them and he encourages them, keep going, don't stop. Keep doing your work of faith for the Lord. Keep doing your labor of love for the Lord. Keep going and keep growing in your steadfastness of hope, even in the face of trials and persecutions. And so Paul sees this, and he rejoices, and he encourages them. Now, could you imagine how hard it would be, how impossible, rather, it would be for the Thessalonians to continue working, to continue staying laboring, and continue staying steadfast if they did not have this work steadfast and, and, and labor in, based in Jesus Christ. If their work for the Lord were not motivated by their faith, why would they keep going? What's the motivation? It would be impossible. If their labor for the Lord wasn't a labor that was pouring out because of their love, why would they keep going? It would be impossible. 
and how hard it would be to stay steadfast, even if your, stead- if your steadfastness was not built on a strong and sturdy and steadfast and perfect Lord Jesus. It would be impossible for us to live this way if the motivation wasn't based upon Jesus Christ, their love for him, um, and, and, their, and their faith in him. And the truth is, we too, we cannot walk faithfully before our God if... We cannot walk faithfully before our God if God doesn't first do his work in us. We cannot live obediently before the Lord if God doesn't transform our hearts, transform our lives, and make us into new creatures who long to do the Lord's work, who long to do his labor, who long to stay steadfast because we look to Jesus Christ as the foundation of our steadfastness. We can't do it without the Lord working in us. And so as we move on, Paul remembers what happened in the Thessalonians before they walked this faithful walk. He looks back, and this is what he sees. Before their faithful, obedient walk, God did a transforming work. And in us as well, before our faithful and obedient walks, God must do a transforming work in our lives. So let's dive back into the passage, verses 4 through 5. And we'll start again at the beginning in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. So just like how we marvel at art and then give credit to the artist, just like how we marvel at music and then give credit to the musician, we marvel at nature and then give credit to the creator, Paul now has been marveling at the faithful walk of the Thessalonians, and now he turns to give credit to the God who made this work possible in their lives. So he's, shift, he's shifting his focus from what they are doing to what God has done. So verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Why is he so certain? Why, why, why can Paul say, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you? Well, how can he be so certain of their, of their salvation? We move on in verse 5. Because... Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And this is what Paul's saying. Before they had done anything to deserve the love and and work of God in their lives, before they had worked, labored, or stood steadfast, God, God did a transforming work in their hearts to enable them to live this way. We read that what happens is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he The Son of God came from heaven to earth, fully God and fully man, lived the perfect life for our sins, died in our place, rose again, united us with him, and we live now eternally with him forever. That good news, that gospel, that that transformed their lives. And it came to them first in word. What that means is just simply that truth. The good news, the message of the gospel, it came to them. But we read in our passage, it came not only in word, but it also came in power and in the Holy Spirit. 
that the Holy Spirit came and he broke into their hearts and broke into their lives and did a transforming work in them powerfully. It takes power to change our hard human hearts. But God gave us a new heart, gave us a new life. And this is the powerful work that the Holy Spirit did in us when we trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the work that he's still doing in us as he continually changes us and helps us look more and more like his son. And finally, it came in full conviction. And that's just simply the fact that they have a full and a certain faith that this good news that they were hearing was true. And they've submitted their lives to that truth. The gospel is a gift from God, and it transformed the Thessalonians, and it transforms us when we come to put our trust and faith in it. And so before their faithful walk, God did a transforming work in the lives of the Thessalonians. So Paul encourages the Thessalonians, and he says, you're no longer who you used to be. You have a new identity. The gospel came, and it transformed you, and it's given you a new heart, and the gospel um, and the Holy Spirit is working in your hearts to continue and help you move forward in life. And because of God's transforming walk, work, they can live this faithful life, and it's the exact same thing with us. Because of the gospel, you are no longer who you were. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have a new heart. You have a new life. And though it was impossible for us to live in a way that pleases God before our salvation, either by wrong motives or wrong acts, now that we've been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're able to live a life that glorifies the Lord. It's a whole new life transformation, and we have the Holy Spirit working in us, enabling us, change us, changing us, and driving us forward to live this way. We have been transformed. And God has enabled us to walk faithfully before him, doing works of faith, labors of love, and standing steadfast in the hope of Jesus Christ. And this amazing truth, we, we know in Scripture that many times, even most of the time, if we want to understand a passage, the best way to do so is to go somewhere else in Scripture to find the bigger picture of what's being taught here. Uh, we might say that Scripture is the best way to understand Scripture. And so if we want to understand what's happening in this passage, I think one of the best ways to do it is to look at the book of Ephesians, chapter one, ch sorry, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Because this passage, which I know you looked at last year, it's, it's a beautiful picture of this life transformation that happens and changes, that changes the way we live. Let me read it for you, because uh, Paul says it better than, better than I can. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So what we're seeing in this first bit, we, before we knew Jesus Christ, we were different creature, creatures altogether. We were children of wrath, and because of that, our living did not glorify God. We did not live in a way uh, that would make him happy or proud of the way we lived. But the story goes on in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So even before we had done anything to deserve it, even even when we were still dead in our trespasses, Jesus Christ came and did this transforming work in us. What a grace! I love how when Paul is going through what he did for us, he even stops midway through and says, by grace you have been saved. It's like it just pops out of him. He can't help but overflow with the joy of the gospel. And this is all going toward an end. Verse 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were dead in our trespasses. We were made alive together with Christ for a purpose, to live a life that glorifies him. Works that he created beforehand so that we could walk in them. The life that we're living now is the direct result of the transformation God has done in our hearts. That's what we're seeing in this passage. That's what we're seeing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. That gospel living is the result of gospel transformation. That our faithful walk is the result of God's faithful work. And so we have been and are being transformed by the gospel. So let's take a moment now. Let's, let's examine ourselves. Let's look at our own lives and let's ask ourselves, does this gospel transformation show in the way that I act, in the way that I live? And this can be a sobering, a sobering thing to do, but we want to look at the word of God as a mirror. We want to allow the truths of the word of God to reflect back upon us so we can have a better understanding of our lives as we try to live a life that glorifies the Lord. So are we faithfully walking before God? I think the first question we need to ask is, what is the work of faith that God is calling you to? How has God called you to work or to serve him or his church family because of your faith and your belief and your trust in him? Uh, Maybe it's simply just talking to a friend about Jesus. Maybe there's somebody in your life um, who, who seems to be softened to the gospel, hungry to hear that gospel. Maybe the Lord's given you an in into their lives, uh, built trust with them already. Is the Lord calling you to do the work of faith of just sharing this good news with them? Or maybe it's taking a younger brother or sister in the Lord under your wing and just walking along with them as they learn to seek and walk after the Lord. What is the work of faith that God is calling you to? Second question, what is the labor of love that God is calling you to? Or how has God called you to labor, to work for him and his church family? Maybe he's calling you to step out and serve around church in a way that makes you uncomfortable. Or maybe it's just something as simple as lovingly taking a meal to somebody who's going through a hard time. Or even just calling somebody who's going through a hard time. That's a labor of love. And so what is the labor of love that God is calling you to this week? And finally, what is it that you need to remain steadfast in? What is it that you can find a steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ during this week? I mean, it it could be something as overt as somebody uh, mocking you for your faith. Uh, But 
but beyond that, it could just be something as, as, uh, as simple as uh, being faithful to stand firm uh, in walking in holiness in a certain situation. So, for instance, uh, in your marriage, uh, committing to stay faithful to your marriage covenant when your marriage gets hard. That's staying steadfast in the power of the Lord. Being committed to walk in a way that glorifies him by his power working in us. And so I encourage you to pray. Ask God, show you what it looks like this week to do this work of faith, this labor of love. And stand steadfastness, steadfast in the hope of Jesus Christ. And we can walk this faithful walk because God has done a transforming work in us, making us new. Pray with me now as we move into a time of worship. Keep song. Heavenly Father, we know that we, we do not live the life that we live um, by our own power. Um, we know that we can't live perfectly. We've tried and we've failed over and over. Um, and so, Father, we, we submit our lives to you because we know that you're the one who's working in us, continually transforming us more and more into your image. Um, but also because we know that you're the one who has to, has to be our motivation. You've transformed us, Lord. You're the one who's enabled.